How we doing, everybody? At both of our campuses, I welcome you. I am so excited that you are here. I think you are in the right place today. I remember growing up way back when I was a kid, I thought I had the perfect home, the perfect house, uh, the perfect childhood, uh, perfect brothers and sisters, and the perfect mom and dad. It's incredible how things begin to change a little bit when you get older and you remember things a little bit different than when you were a kid. Anybody? You know what I'm talking about, right? Because I remember uh, thinking that everything was so perfect. I remember thinking I got this amazing house with this huge backyard that took forever to mow. And we, we, our yard backed up to this forest that we kind of ran like crazy. We built all these forts out there. And, and I remember the teenagers would come and want to smoke in our forest, but we went to war with them and we beat them every time. And, and I, remember, uh, I, I remember that, that there was this hill at the end of our street street that was just amazing, you know, like the road came around and you'd hit this hill going down with your bike or your skateboard and you were going like a hundred miles an hour and it was just awesome and death defying and it was one adventure after the other and I thought my life was like this leave it to beaver sort of a world where it was literally perfect but the older you get, reality hits. The older you get, reality hits. Anybody? Yeah, I remember maybe 10 years after we were married, I decided I was going to take Lynette to go see the old hood, right? And, and you know, I just wanted her to experience it. And, and when we get there, I'm like, whoa, 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 what's going on with the old hood? I mean, it's not what, I'm telling you, there used to be this hill. They must have taken a grader or something and just knocked the whole road down because I remember it was massive hill, but really... It was just like this little slope in the road, you know? And I'm like, this yard was just huge. It backed up to this woods. And, and really, it was just a little bit of trees behind the house, right? And, and the yard, like the, literally the yard could literally fit in my driveway right now. The whole yard could fit. In, remember, the whole house and the yard could fit in my driveway, literally. Uh, and so you just kind of remember things differently. And, and the truth is, I remember the day that I came home And I realized, I mean, really realized that mom and dad that I thought I had was not really the mom and dad that I had. I I was out of the house already for a couple years. I was probably about 21 at the time. And uh, I knew that there was some trouble in their marriage, but I didn't really know the depth of it. And I remember walking in, seeing my father on the telephone, It was obvious that he was having a conversation with a woman, and it did not take me long to figure out that this was a conversation that he should only be having with my mother, but it was not my mother, if you know what I mean. And that was the day that this dream that I had of my father was shattered. The hero that I called my dad, my coach, uh, the man who first introduced me to Jesus, who encouraged me to love and follow Jesus, That was really the first time that I realized that he was not who he said he was. That he was not following and loving Jesus at all. And it was the day that that the real weight of hypocrisy was discovered in my own life. Um, You know, you, you, you knew about hypocrisy out there, but to see it this up close, it was a crushing, and I mean, it was absolutely a crushing weight. And you can only imagine, some of you have lived through this, how devastating this was to my little family uh, when my dad took off. I remember watching uh, how the lives of my 
mom and my little brother and uh, my little sister had just literally fallen apart. And I remember uh, not really even hardly seeing my dad, but maybe once or twice in the next 10 or 15 years. And I remember uh, being this young man who was just starting out on career and life and marriage. And I remember just being so angry. Because my dad just wasn't in my life. And he should have been in my life. Because dad should be in their kid's life. Amen? Dad should be around. And he just wasn't. And I remember I was just, you know, like 21 or something like that. But I wasn't a kid anymore. And I saw the depth of the hurt. And I remember thinking years and years later even when I had my own kids. uh, Being, you know, on some street. And I just remember thinking to myself, if my kids ran into my dad, they wouldn't even know who he is. Heck, I'm not even sure that I would know who he was. And as a young man, I just remember trying to get this whole start, you know, whole life started and remembering the poison that was growing inside of me. And I just remember becoming more and more bitter and more and more anger. Uh, I mean, you watch your mother, who, by the way, my mom is the greatest woman on the planet and do not argue with me. Do not argue with me. Uh, But I watched her struggle so deeply. Um, Her life came unraveled. Because of the betrayal and the hurt, she became suicidal. Literally landed in the hospital because of that. And her finances were devastated. Her home, everything that she believed in was taken from her. And it was terrible. And I just need to admit something, and you're probably going to, I hope you don't hate me for saying this, but I hated that man. I wanted him to die. And to burn in hell. And some of y'all in the room right now are going, whew, I told you we needed a new preacher. <laughs> that ain't good. And I'm ashamed of it now. Uh, but it got worse than that, if I could be honest with you. I remember preaching in the early days of this little church we called Metro. And I remember um, preaching about the love of God and the grace of God and the forgiveness of our great God. But I didn't feel any of those things toward my father. I felt nothing but hatred toward him. And I remember that feeling of becoming that hypocrite myself and struggling with this growing poison within me. And to make matters worse, if I was just to be completely honest with you, I still struggle with this, with bitterness and unforgiveness and anger. Because what should have been never came to be. And what should have been in every young family's life never really happened. And friends, this is a poisonous thing, isn't it? You know, we're in this series called Poisonous, and we've been talking about this idea that there are these, these things that rage within us. And you know they rage within you because they rage within me. These things that are poison to our soul, they're like a cancer to our soul and they grow and they grow. Things like lust and greed and anger and, and, and comparison and envy and all of those things. That if we're not careful, they will ruin us. We will never become who God intended for us to become. And we'll find ourselves becoming the very thing that we despise. I know. I lived it. And my guess is I'm not alone. 
I think almost every single one of us in this room realizes or knows somebody who at one point, you know, maybe had cancer or some sort of disease, and they'll tell you this. They'll tell you this all the time. Like, I had no idea. I had no idea I had cancer. I had no idea I had heart disease until the doctor said it's killing you. Because friends, this is how this poison works. It's the same thing with this idea of bitterness, this idea of lack of forgiveness. It is like a cancer that grows inside of you and oftentimes we don't catch it until it is too late. This is what bitterness and unforgiveness looks like. Uh, you you want to know what bitterness looks like? You want to know what unforgiveness looks like? It's like drinking a deadly poison and hoping somebody else dies. Think about that. It's wanting to hurt somebody else. But really in the end, it's only hurting you. It's being so full of hate, thinking that somehow you're ruining their life. But in the end, it's only ruining yours. And it's only ruining mine. It, it, it takes this idea of, of, of uh, anger, this idea of bitterness, it takes up a lot of room in your life, right? Because the longer you live with it, the resentment just grows. Anybody in the room? You know what I'm talking about? The anger just keeps mounting up and it's like you think you can move on and then you're just dragged right back into it and you thought you got better and you thought you were over it, but it's, you're not over it. What happens? It just keeps growing inside of you. Anybody remember um, Nelson Mandela? He was at the heart of the fight over apartheid in South Africa. Um, he, 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 this is so crazy. He ends up being arrested and put in prison for 27 years of his life because he wanted the black man to have the right to vote in South Africa. Now, the irony of it is that after he was released from prison, he actually became the first black president of South Africa, which is pretty amazing. Um, but on his way out of prison, he said he thought something, and he later wrote it down in one of his, in one of his books. And, and this is what he wrote. Look up here. He, he said this. He said, as I walked out of the door toward the gate that would lead to my freedom, I knew that if I didn't leave my bitterness and hatred behind, I would still be in prison. You see, bitterness, it takes up a lot of room in your life. It takes up a good part of your soul. Holding a grudge, staying bitter is like letting somebody else live rent-free inside your mind. Come on, nobody should live rent-free. Right? But think about that. By holding on to that grudge, holding on to that bitterness, holding on to that anger, it's like letting somebody run around in your mind all the time. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. And friends, that takes up a lot of room. I read somewhere that if you want to travel far and you want to travel fast, don't carry a grudge because it's too heavy and it'll drag you down and you'll never arrive at the destination you think you should arrive in. And friends, it's true, right? Because bitterness is heavy and it doesn't leave much room in your heart for the things that God wants you to become. It doesn't leave much room in your soul to be the person that you want to be. It doesn't leave much inside of you, much room, vacancy inside of you for the spirit of God to pour in what is good and what is better for your life. It's absolutely true. Uh, I, I remember one time when I was uh, preaching about this topic of 
forgiveness and I was talking about the grace of God and, and, and I was struggling so deep with even forgiving my own father. And I was preaching on one of the cornerstone verses that Jesus spoke about, uh, Matthew 6, uh, verses 14 and 15. And, and I remember speaking this and, and reading this in front of our, our church. And, and here's what I read. This is Jesus talking. He says, he says, for if you forgive others when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others of their sins, your father will not forgive what? And when I read that verse, I remember being on one of our stages and just, uh, this was years ago, and just almost like a panic overcame me. Because there was so much hypocrisy in my life. And I knew I needed the grace of God. And I knew I needed the forgiveness of God. But the scripture says, unless I extend that to somebody else, God would not extend it to me. It was like I was... I was broken on the inside, and I just couldn't stop it. Um, I don't know if you've heard of C.S. Lewis. Uh, he's dead now, but boy, dead people say some smart things, don't they? Oh my goodness, this guy is a genius. This is what he wrote one time. Um, he, he wrote, everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. Can I, can I just read that again? He says, everyone says that forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. Anybody feel that? I mean, it, it's, it sounds great on paper. It really, really does. But my guess is, if you're like me in this room, you have, <laughs> you have had plenty in your life that somebody else needs to forgive. Am I right? You've done plenty that somebody else needs to forgive. Uh, I mean, you get to this point, maybe you've been there before where you're out of excuses, you tried to lie about it, you tried to go around it, but they got you cornered and they're just looking at you going, what other excuses you got? Because I know what you did. And you're making up excuse after excuse. And you just, at that point, you go, whew, it's a great idea that you forgive somebody. <laughs> Me. Let me read this to you again. C.S. Lewis says, everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. I think in general, uh, people would rather die than forgive somebody else. I really believe this. Uh, it is a hard thing to forgive somebody else. I, I think when Jesus said this idea that like, as God has forgiven you, you should forgive somebody else, so you should forgive them, right? When, when, when I hear that, I'm like, you are asking something that is so against my nature, you are asking something that is so against who I am as a human being. And it's not just me. I think it's all of humanity. We, we, we're so good at holding things against somebody else. And in the end, we think we're killing them, but we're killing us. I think if it came down to it and God says, listen to me, you're either going to forgive them or die. I bet a whole bunch of us in this funeral would be, hey, or in this uh, auditorium, you'd go like, you would go like, uh, what color are the caskets? Because you would rather die than extend grace towards somebody else. Um, there is this story that comes out of Jesus' life, Luke 23. Um, whew. It is the most dramatic moment of human forgiveness in all of history. It really is. Uh, you may remember the backstory. We're approaching Easter, and Easter is about the crucifixion, the death, 
and the resurrection of Jesus, right? And, and the backstory is that Rome arrested Jesus and they trumped up all of these charges against him. You, you look into the life of Jesus, there's no way you can conclude that he was a horrible human being that deserved to be crucified. There's just no way on earth you could ever decide that. So they trumped up all these manufactured charges and they ended up crucifying him between two common thieves. And here's what the scripture says. Listen to this. 23, Luke 23, uh, 32, it says, two other men, both criminals, were led out with Jesus to be executed. When they had came to the place they called the skull, that was the name of the hill, they called it the skull hill. They crucified him there along with the criminals, one on the right and one on his left. And if you've been around church at all, or even if you've watched some documentaries, you understand what Rome did with crucifixion, right? I don't need to tell you the whole backstory. Rome reserved crucifixion for the worst of criminals. It was an expensive thing, and they reserved it for war. They reserved it to make a point. They reserved it for the worst of the worst. As a matter of fact, we get this English word, excruciating. Have you heard of excruciatingly painful? It comes from the Latin word which we get crucified from. Because it's excruciatingly painful. It is above all other forms of torture. And they would beat these people and they would be merciless toward them. And and you may know this, right? They they take these criminals, these common criminals, and they took our Lord and they put him on this cross and they staked his hands and his feet to the cross. And oftentimes we think of the movies, we think, ooh, it's way up there, and wow, that's amazing. But if you do the research of Roman history, they did not crucify people way up there. They actually crucified people just about six to 10 inches off the ground. Very interesting. Because if you know the death of, uh, of crucifixion, you do not die because there's nails in, in your hands and in your feet. You die because uh, suffocation. Because your body just begins to sag and you can no longer hold it up. And so you're excruciating pain as you kind of sag and you can't breathe. And so you try to push up. And what are you pushing up on? You're pushing up on the nails in your hands. And so it's this never-ending cycle. And you can't breathe. And so you push up, never-ending cycle. And the reason they crucify you just a few inches off the ground is because it's a mental thing, right? Because you just want, with everything that's in you, to step off that cross and just hold yourself on the ground for a minute. And you can't. And so they nailed Jesus to this cross between two common thieves. And the scripture says, before the moment came where he gave up his spirit. By the way, no one took Jesus' life. He gave it. Come on. He gave it. And it says, the moment before he gave up his spirit. It says he, he did this unthinkable thing. This almost unimaginable thing that I personally, I can't get my mind around. This is what it says, that he prays to his father in heaven. Verse 34, chapter 23 says, Father, what is this phrase? Forgive them. Say this, Father, forgive them. Forgive them, for they do not know what they, do not know what they are doing. He's like, Daddy, God, Father in heaven, forgive them. They're crazy. They're confused. They don't understand what's going on right now. They think they're doing the right thing, but they're not doing the right thing. And they don't even know any better. And so in this unbelievable moment, this unbelievable, extraordinary act of love and grace, he utters these words, Father, forgive them. And he gives us this this example of forgiveness and not holding this grudge, not holding this bitterness, making sure that it's all emptied out in you so that God could pour his spirit into him. And this is 
a real thing for you and for me. Because if we were to be honest, I want you to think about this. If you live long enough, you will experience deep hurt in your life. Anybody older in the room? Come on. Then you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you live long enough, you will have people who lie to you, who deceive you, who hurt you, who abuse you. They will say things about you. They will betray you. Some will take advantage of you. Some will cheat on you. Some will sexually abuse you. And friends, this takes a toll. And this grows inside of us. And this bitterness becomes anger inside of us. And it just fills up our heart longer and longer. Some in this room, you're, you, you've witnessed someone hurt someone that you loved or that you love deeply, someone that took advantage of someone that you care about, someone hurt your child or your siblings or your brother or sister, uh, someone who maybe was supposed to be a Christian didn't act much like a Christian to you. And so now you're even confused with your relationship with God. Or maybe you came out of a church that hurt you deeply and that church didn't even know that they hurt you deeply. And so you're walking around even today coming here is a big deal because church represents God and you're not so sure that you can even trust God. Someone maybe gossiped about you and said stuff that wasn't true or maybe some boss didn't appreciate your efforts and you end up losing your job and so you're just bitter and you're angry about it. Uh, others uh, of you have been treated so unfairly in life and, and unjustly in life and it's welling up inside of you. What's crazy is that some of you have been even hurt by someone who's not even alive any longer and you're still carrying it around even though they've been dead for 20 years. And it's filled you. And it's left no room for God to do his work in your life. Some of you have parents, grandparents who have long been gone. But they touched you. They did things to you. They may have abandoned you. And it is still raging inside of you. Some in this room, some in this room, you're, you're angry at yourself and you can't even forgive yourself. You know what you've done. You've done things and said things and hurt people. You, you, you did things that you never thought you would do. And you know that God can forgive you. And matter of fact, you might even believe that God can and has forgiven you. But you're stuck because you can't forgive you. You can't move on beyond you. And so Jesus comes along and he says some crazy things to us. He says, you and me, we can't let that happen. We can't be so filled with hurt and anger that there is no room for God's spirit in your life. And so I want to, if it's okay with you, um, I would like to just to share with you a couple of the things that Jesus said to you and to me in order to move forward. Are you willing to hear it? Yeah. Come on, are you willing? Yeah. Okay. Here's what Jesus said. This is going to sound crazy. <laughs> he, he said, um, pray for those who hurt you. Really? We don't like that. I don't like that. I'll be honest. 
Uh, that goes against everything that is wired in me. Everything. But, but here's how Jesus said it. Luke 6, 28, he says, this crazy thing. He says, bless those who curse you. And then do what? He says, and then pray for those who hurt you. And so you're like, all right, I'll pray for them. I'll pray for them. I'll pray for them. I'll pray that they break their leg and then die, right? Um, I pray that you get like ran over and suffer, you know? Um, honestly, I remember I was so angry at my father. Um, and this is terrible, but I would pray that he would die. And then I would tell my mom, mom, do not cancel your life insurance because God is going to even the score. True. That's how I felt. And Jesus comes along. He says, don't pray about them, but pray for them. Oh God, you know how terrible and awful and doggone ridiculous these people. No, no, no. He says, pray for them, not about them. God bless them. God help them. Um, Jesus said it a different way in Matthew chapter five. This is amazing. Into a world that was ruled by Rome. Now, do you know about Rome? Rome was an empire of vengeance, right? You know the stories of Rome. Like, if, if somebody didn't even look at a commander wrong, they would march 2,000 men into a village and they would wipe out every man, woman, and child. Just like that. Boom. Vengeance was mine, Rome would say. Rome would say this. And then think about the Jewish people, which Jesus spoke these words to. They were taught an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth right? Bone for bone, blood for blood. If you get me, I'm going to get you. You say this, I'm going to say that. You flip me off, I'm going to flip you off. This is why some of you should not have a metrocitychurch.tv bumper sticker on your car, <laughs> right? Because you got this driving attitude, eye for eye and a tooth for a tooth, and it's ridiculous. But here's what, what Jesus said. You have heard it said. In other words, you've grown up thinking this all of your life. This is America, this is the human state. This is the human heart. This is the condition of the human soul. He says, you have heard it said, love your neighbor and what? Hate your enemy. Hate them. This is natural to us, right? He punches you, punch him back in the nose. But I tell you, and this is a jaw-dropping, shocking statement from Jesus. He says, and this changed the world, by the way. This statement right here changed the entire world. He says, I tell you something different. Love your enemies and pray for those who, what? Persecute you, who come against you. But friends, this is what starts to happen when you pray for somebody. Not about them, but for them. The, the, the soul, your soul, that is so filled with hurt and anger and negativity, it starts emptying out. I mean, literally, there's a change that starts to occur. Like you're in a marriage and the marriage is going south and boy, he can't do anything right and she's this awful and it's awful, but you start praying for them. Here's what happens. Your soul starts emptying out. All the garbage that's been in there for a long time, it just starts to become lighter and freer and there becomes a little bit of room for God to start to work inside of who you are, right? You give God the space that he needs to do a work inside of you that you need. And let me tell you something you start to make room for something that's better. You hear me? Something that's better. When we pray for someone, here's what starts to happen. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but, but your heart begins to change. It is just hard to go, man, that SOB, that blah, 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 oh, Lord Jesus, love them. 
pray for them. I pray that you would be blessing them like crazy. I hate their guts, but God, you love them. Right? Here's what happens. When you start to pray for them, I know this sounds cheesy, but, but God starts to give you a new heart. Right? God starts to give you a new heart. Put that up on the, on the board there. This idea of the new heart, it just, it, all of a sudden there's something different beating inside of you. And let me tell you something. When you get a, a new heart, listen, a right heart brings a new start. Woo! Like some of y'all going, that's just cheesy. No, that's true. That's really true. Because all of a sudden, there's something different rattling around in you and it starts things different in your life. A new attitude brings a new direction. A new heart brings a new start. It really does every single time. Change, it'll start to happen and it might be slow at first, but it will start to come. And let me tell you something. If you're waiting um, to forgive somebody, like you're waiting to be in the mood to forgive somebody, it's, you're gonna be waiting until Jesus comes. Because you will never be in the mood to forgive anybody because it is not in our nature. This is why we need a savior. This is why we need Jesus to say, go the other direction. Forgive. And he will change your heart. When you start to pray for somebody that has hurt you, It'll begin to empty out the negativity and it'll leave room for God to do a new work inside of you. Um, and friends, let me tell you something. This is what the scripture says. Uh, that when we start to pray, that leads us to the very next thing. And here's the second thing. Is that when you start to pray for somebody, eventually, and you're not gonna like this, <laughs> he is gonna tell you to Forgive. It's just gonna be crystal clear to you that you cannot live any longer like this. You cannot live in this bitterness. You cannot live in this pain. You cannot live in this hurt. I don't care how many times he did this or did that or she did or she did. Listen, he's gonna tell you to forgive. Paul echoes these words, Colossians chapter one, or chapter three, uh, verse 13, it says this. this, is amazing. He says, he's really echoing what Jesus said. He says, forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone else, forgive as the Lord God forgave you. I don't really know you, um, but I don't think we're probably that much different. I know what God has done in me. I know what God has looked at in my life. And he's like, oh man, Jeremy, come on. And he has forgiven me. He has been good to me. He has been full of grace toward me. And my guess is that you're not much better than I am. And when he says that God has forgiven you, you should be generous and quick to forgive someone else. You should be willing to forgive. There is this point where you decide to move forward because really, you only have two choices as far as I can tell, right? You, you have this choice uh, to forgive or you have this choice to be bitter, right? Th those are the two choices you, you really have. Now, now listen to me. Let's just play this bitter thing out. 
This is how it looks, at least in my life and probably, probably in yours. Like you're, you're bitter, some guy jerked you around a couple years ago at work and for the last two years, you have been avoiding him in the halls. Every time you pull up into that parking lot, instead of giving glory to God by the way that you work with excellence and joy, it is a drudgery because you can't stand the person down the hall to the left around the corner in that cubicle. Right there, you can't stand him. Because he did something to cross you or she did something to cross you years and years ago. And you've just harbored this and you're living with bitterness. Who wins at that point? Or maybe, you know, you're in this marriage and it, it has become a loveless marriage because he said and she said and he did and then she did and then all of a sudden you're separated and you're laying in bed and you're turned over and you're not looking at each other anymore. Who wins? Who wins? Bitterness wins. Anger wins. But God says at some point you gotta change that. You gotta, you gotta remove that stuff. You, you need to make a choice to forgive. Like there are people in this church, this is so crazy. I can't go to the 6.30 service because I dated this girl and she screwed me over and I'm just, I can't even go in there. She'd be worshiping like this. And I, oh man. I can't go. I'm gonna go to the other campus. And God's going, what the hot hay is going on here? Have I not forgiven you? Have I not been graceful towards you? Haven't I been more than good towards you? And this is how you respond, people. You can live with bitterness. Or you can choose to forgive. And leave room for God to have his way in your life. You can leave room for God's spirit to bring something better. To fill up the empty vessel. I remember, um, I, I was teaching about this idea of forgiveness. And I knew that I had to do something different with my dad. I, re, I just remember feeling the weight of hypocrisy, um, the weight of God's reminder toward me, how can you be like this when I have been so good to you? And I decided, I don't know what it'd be like for you, I, I don't know, but I decided to write my father a letter. And in this letter, I just, I was open and very honest and I just told him how much he hurt me and disappointed me and that no father should abandon his kids, ever, ever. But I also told him how wrong I was for holding on to something for so many years that I had no right to hold on to. And I began to explain to him in this little letter about the grace of God in my life and how I hoped that he would return to the grace of God in his life. And I had to ask him to forgive me as well. And I don't know what that's going to look like for you. But all I know is that bitterness and lack of forgiveness is heavy. And it doesn't leave much room. I have a friend, her name is Sue, and um, she's wonderful, and she says, uh, she says, you can't go through life with cement blocks on your feet. She says, bitterness and unforgiveness is like walking through life with cement blocks on your feet, expecting to get somewhere fast, but you get nowhere really fast. 
It's true, isn't it? It's really true. I don't know what it's going to be like for you. Um, I don't know. I just know that we can't live with these things rattling around in our soul much longer. They're poison. Amen? One more thing I, I just need to share with you. Um, one more big thought. And that is, and this is going to be very personal, that some of us in this room need to move on from what we have done. Some of us need to learn to forgive our own selves. I mean, we know that God has forgiven us. We know that God is good. But we're still harboring something deep in our soul because of what we did 15, 20, 30 years ago. And God's saying to you, like that stupid Disney movie, let it go, let it go, let it And you're like, I can't, I can't. And God's saying, don't just let it go, go. He's saying, let it go and give it to me. I can carry that way better than you can. Way better. And so I have a friend, um, uh, Mike, and he leads our ministry called uh, Renew. Phenomenal. Uh, yeah. Give it up for Renew. Both campuses, you should be giving it up. Renew does amazing work. And um, he was teaching on this idea of forgiveness a couple weeks ago at Renew. And I sent the camera crew over there and I said, I just want you guys to capture this because I know what Mike's going to say and it's going to be so good. So good. And it was good. I just want to play a little clip from Renew. And most of us have, have something in our pasts that, that, that brings so much guilt and so much shame that, that we, just, we just can't shake it and, and we're just deeply ashamed of it. Man, and if you don't, if you're in this room and you don't, man, good for you. I know that for me, man, like when I look back at my life, I think of a lot of things that I regret, regretted doing and, and, and that, that just heaps a lot of shame on, on me. But I'm... But I'm not going to live in that shame, right? Because, because I do forgive myself. You know, maybe, maybe you're just an angry person. Maybe, maybe, maybe the, the, the things that, maybe life isn't so fair to you, right? Maybe the, the things that, that you do are just so hurtful to the people around you, your family, that, that every time something comes up, you just have this, this low-grade anger going on, and then you explode, Right? Maybe you've been the subject of, uh, of sexual abuse. That, that maybe you thought that at some point you might have been able to change that. Or maybe you were, you were the abuser that, that did these things to people and that, and that, uh, that the shame and the guilt of all that stuff just weighs on you. And you feel like dirt because of it. You see, in all these instances, we can place the feeling of guilt square on our shoulders. And as we isolate with our thoughts, man, we can, about what we've done, we can condemn ourselves. And the feeling of shame sets in and, and the guilt feels heavier and the shame feels unbearable. And we feel lower than dirt. And we say to ourselves, I'll never be able to forget myself for that. Man, I can, you can almost hear the gavel fall. Guilty. We found ourselves to be guilty. And we deserve what we, and, and we, deserve what we get. We condemn ourselves. 
we do it for life. We feel as if we deserve to feel the guilt of it. We, we deserve to feel the shame of it. We deserve to feel the condemnation of it. And if I, if I were to be honest with you, man, I felt all of it for years. It felt too much to bear at times. It was poison for my soul. Did you hear what I said? It was poison for my soul. And it's poison for your soul too. These things that we, we've, got, we've got to get to a point, man, where somehow, some way, we can, we can end this cycle of, of condemnation and, 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 and guilt and shame, right? But God had another plan. See, God had another plan for me, and God's got another plan for you. God made a way, made a way for forgiveness through his son, Jesus, in 1 John, it says, in 1, 1 John 1, 9, it says, if we confess our sins, that God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cl- cleanse us from some of our unrighteousness. No. To, so, to, to cleanse us from most of our unrighteousness? Oh, yeah. To cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness, right? If we confess our junk to God, he forgives it all. And right here is where we override God's butt with our butts, <laughs> right? But Mike, I, I, I feel so guilty about what I did. But Mike, I feel the shame is so deep that I can't shake it. But Mike, what I did was so wrong. How can I forgive myself? And we can know that God has forgiven us, but we can't figure out how to forgive ourselves. You see, when we've internalized what we've done so much, sometimes for many, many years, that we honestly believe that we know better than God. We rationalize that God himself can forgive all that stuff, but this, this I'm holding on to. So I can punish myself for what I did and what I, or what I may have failed to do. This, my friends, is, is poisonous, and it's killing you. And it's killing me spiritually. And it's keeping you from God's best, and it's keeping me from God's best. And it's keeping us from true freedom in Christ. See, I believe that most of us would say that what Jesus did on the cross where he died for us, and he became our sins, and he died in those sins, he put them in their place once and for all, and that we would say that, that he made us clean from all that, right? And that we love him for that, but we, what we do from there is we, we tell God in our indoor voice, hey, hey God, you know that, that sacrifice that you did, you know that Jesus thing? That wasn't good enough for what I've done. And in that, we're telling God that we know better than him. And, 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 that the, and, and, and that ain't loving him. We're telling God that the way that we feel about the things that we did is more powerful than what he did. I'm going to repeat that. The way that we feel about what we did is more powerful than what God did. In essence, we're saying, God, my feelings are more powerful than, than your actions. And right there, we disconnect from God. When we feel that there is something too great in our life for God to forgive, 
we are putting ourselves above God's work. What an incredible thought. 